The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I'd ask you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. And there's two phrases that seem to have been on my mind, which is, who am I and here am I? Who am I and here am I? And we like to try to consider those. In Exodus chapter 3, we have Moses and God appearing to Moses in the uh, burning bush. And um, he initially speaks to him, uh, Exodus chapter 3 and in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. So first of all, in this account here in Exodus with Moses, the Lord uh, begins to address him, and he essentially says, I'm here. Here am I. And we're going to skip through most of this. Um, he tells him that you're going to go to, uh, down to Egypt, and you're going to lead my people out of bondage. And uh, I'm going to bless you, and, and they're going to they're going to follow you, follow you. <clears throat> excuse me. And the uh, first rebuttal that Moses has of this calling that God has has placed on him in Exodus chapter three and verse eleven, Moses said unto God, "Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt?" Now, we're told a little bit later that uh, Moses is described as being the uh, meekest man on the face of the earth. Um, I believe that meekness is displayed here. He says, look, who, who am I that uh, God would use me in this way? Who am I that God would, would call me to this great work? I know our people have been, even, he's been gone for 40 years now, but I know 40 years ago they were in rigor and in bondage and praying to the Lord, and that's only got worse in the last 40 years. I know that there's a need, but who am I to be the person to, uh, to meet that need? Um, now, he goes on. It's great that he displays this initial meekness, this initial humility, and I think that's part of the reason why the Lord used Moses in the way that he did is because of his meekness and because of his humility. But I think as he goes on, he keeps giving these objections uh, I don't think he's necessarily being too meek at this point. I think he's just trying to come up with excuses to maybe not do it. And uh, he says, you know, what am I going to tell them? Who, who, who sent me? They're not going to believe me. Uh, I think the last one he uses in the fourth chapter, I'm not eloquent. Uh, I'm slow of speech and I'm a slow tongue. <laughs> and I love the Lord's answer. Who hath made man's mouth or maketh the dumb or the deaf? I was talking to uh, person after services this morning, we were talking about Balaam and his donkey, you know. Uh, the Lord made man's mouth. He can use man's mouth to say whatever he wants it to. And he also made a donkey's mouth, say what, uh, what was uh, necessary for Balaam in that moment. So I think uh, Moses, especially when you think about the fact, uh, I think it's in Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's sermon, he's describing all that Old Testament history there. And uh, he describes Moses when he was still in, uh, in Egypt. So this is prior to this moment, 40 years ago when he was still in Egypt. He describes Moses as being mighty in words and deeds. Okay, So, yeah, he may have felt like he was slow of speech, but actually it doesn't appear that he had a speech impediment. It doesn't appear that, that this was a real physical problem. Uh, but the Lord uh, still kind of condescended to him and allowed, allowed Aaron to, uh, 
uh, be the mouthpiece to Israel. But we see here Moses' humility, his meekness to say, who am I that God would choose me for this work? And um, if we're going to be used in the Lord's kingdom, if God is going to uh, use us to serve his people in a faithful way, um, we have to have a sense of, of humility to say, who am I? I mean, I don't deserve this. I, I'm not adequate for the task. Um, who God doesn't use is the people that if he comes to them and says, well, you know what? I, I am good enough. I, I, I've been waiting on you to come to me. You know, I, I feel like I have a great resume for this work. And I was waiting on when you were going to actually come around to, to tell me that I'm the man for the job. Uh, those are the people that, that God rejects. It says that um, if you elevate yourself, um, then you will be abased. But if you abase yourself, you will be exalted, right? Uh, in the kingdom, the greatest among you will be uh, your servant. That this humble, meek attitude is who the Lord is going to see fit to use in this kingdom, especially as we make our way uh, to this second phrase. Uh, you won't be worth very much in the Uh, Here am I, send me, until you feel as if, who am I? I'm not worthy of this work. I'm not worthy of the the calling that God has has placed on me. We now want to go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and look at a couple examples of King David using the same phrase. Who am I? I'm I'm not worthy that God would bless me in this way, displaying this this meekness and and humility um, that I'm not... I'm just simply not worthy of what God has called me unto. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And uh, this is uh, right after, just a couple verses before, uh, Saul is trying to kill David by throwing his javelin at him and pinning him to the wall. And then right after that, he says, hey, would you like to marry my daughter? Um, And then this one didn't work out. And then he actually married another daughter and tried to kill him in battle. tried to send him out in battle so the Philistines would kill him in battle, you know, so uh, he offered him the first time and then he offered the second one and, and then David promptly just went and killed all those Philistines and ended up marrying Michael and it didn't work out the way Saul planned it out to work. But anyway, his first uh, proposition here in 1 Samuel 18, uh, verse 17, is to offer his oldest daughter for David to, to marry um, and then David's response is, who am I? Who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? And uh, David is uh, described as being a man after God's own heart, a man that displayed the um, humility and meekness of Christ. Christ, uh, we're told to put on the mind of Christ, and he humbled himself and took upon himself the form of a servant. So Christ had that meekness and humility, and uh, David had that same heart. He was a man after God's own heart, and uh, he displayed that same meekness. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, David says this again. Um, and this one is much more significant. Uh, he, he's just given a prophecy of, uh, from Nathan that's describing the uh, coming kingdom and how he would raise up his son to build a house and portions of this were fulfilled by Solomon, but the greater fulfillment, the greater fulfillment 
was in Jesus Christ establishing the church and building the house of God. Notice what he says here, um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and in verse, 20, uh, verse 12, uh, When thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish a kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, that, that would have been some big words for little old bitty David to, to hear, right? I'm going to establish your kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and I will be... And uh, he shall be my son, and if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. That's certainly applicable to Solomon, not to Jesus. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established <clears throat> forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. Wow, well, those are some big uh, promises that God gave them. So what was David's response to that? His response in verse 18 was, Who am I? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? You told me that you're going to establish my house forever. But who am I that you would establish my house? I mean, who am I that you would bestow this favor upon me? You, know, you see the humility that he displays there. And then he goes on through the rest of the chapter to just praise God uh, for this, you know, and that, that's the proper disposition, you know, we don't want to uh, poor mouth ourselves too much, you know, we want to say, who am I, and, and be, be meek and lowly, but, but we also don't need to just talk down to ourselves all the time and say, no, I can't do anything. Well, no, we need to praise God for his uh, blessings that he has given us, not just talk down to ourselves all the time. That's what David said. He said, first of all, I don't deserve it, but praise God you gave it to me, right? That's, that's pretty much what he says there throughout the rest of the chapter. I don't feel worthy of this, but, you know, that's what grace is. I mean, grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We, we're not worthy of it, and we should say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but praise God that you gave it to me, okay? Um, in my Bible, it's just on the other page, 2 Samuel chapter 9, this is Mephibosheth. Um, this is uh, not the exact phrasing of who am I, but it still has the exact same sentiment. Um, <clears throat> David says, um, Who is left of the house of Saul that I must show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And this, I could definitely post up here and uh, preach for about two hours on Mephibosheth. Um, we have uh, David, because of his covenant with Jonathan, showing favor to the descendants of his enemy. Okay? Uh, and certainly that makes us think of God, you know, we, we weren't forgiven for our sake. We were forgiven for Christ's sake. And, uh, and God saw fit to bestow favor and grace upon us, not for our sake, but for our greater Jonathan's sake, if you'll let me use that language. And then Mephibosheth, he's lame. He's lame on us. He can't do anything, you know. Uh, we talk about man um, being called upon to uh, come unto God. You need to choose to theoretically take up your bed and walk and come unto him to receive eternal life. Well, that's not very good news to us Mephibosheths that are lame. Especially, and you're not just lame, by the way, you're dead. <laughs> so you can't do that anyway. You're, you're definitely lame because you're dead. But furthermore, uh, you're, you, you don't have the ability to come unto Christ. Right? But what does, God, what does God do? What does King David do? He sends his messengers and he fetched Mephibosheth. He picked him up and he brought him into the king's house. And then Mephibosheth <clears throat> comes and uh, they bring him in there, and, you know, 
uh, they don't really tell Mephibosheth here, um, they don't really tell him what's going on. Uh, they just send the king's um, people to pick him up and bring him to the king's house. And all they probably told him was, the king has summoned you, you know, or something like that. Well, he knows that he's of the lineage of Saul. Okay? I don't think that he thought when he showed up there in David's uh, throne room that he was fitting to get access to the king's table. I think that Mephibosheth, that whole uh, chariot ride from Lodabar, <laughs> you know, that whole ride there, he was terrified that I'm about to get killed. Why? Because David now, you know, now Saul's dead and now he's going to exact his revenge on the last remaining heir of Saul. He can't punish them anymore. So now he's going to exact his revenge on the last remaining heir of Saul. So Mephibosheth spends his whole time, that whole ride there, thinking he's about to die, most likely. All right? And then he arrives and he's pretty much just pleading for his life. <clears throat> and Mephibosheth, the son of, uh, this is verse 6. The son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come to David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat of my bread continually. And then he said, so now he gives him a, a blessing that you're going to, to receive this. So it goes from being afraid of of probably being killed, to now you're going to receive this great blessing. And then what was Mephibosheth's response? What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Why would you? I, I, would, I would understand if you exact judgment on me. I would understand. All, all I tried to do was kill you your entire life. Uh, I, it would, In a natural sense, it would make sense for you to exact vengeance. But instead, you're not just going to bestow favor. You're going to make me as one of the king's sons? You're going to give me full access to the king's table? I don't deserve that. What is thy servant? And notice his proper uh, disposition of himself on such a dead dog as I. You know? Now, this shows you the beautiful disposition of uh, David's humility, showing favor to someone else who also has that humility. What did David say you know, every time Saul tried to kill him, he spared his life twice. Even when he cut off just the edge of his garment, he, he was convicted about that. I can't, I can't smite the Lord's anointed. Um, he was convicted about just cutting off the hem of his garment. But then in that same instance, David said, why are you even pursuing me as the king? I'm, he called himself a flea. You know, David said, I'm insignificant. I'm just a little bitty flea. Why is the king you know, galvanizing the entire resources of the entire kingdom to hunt down a little flea like me. Uh, he spared Saul. He displayed that humility. And now we see this beautiful disposition of now Mephibosheth showing that same humility as David is now showing kindness to him that he didn't deserve, which is the exact opposite of what Mephibosheth's grandfather showed to David. So that's really pretty. So... Mephibosheth said, man, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Who am I that God would bless me in this way? So I believe it's very important for us to have a proper view of ourselves, And certainly, um, if we're going to have a proper view of ourselves, we need to start in Genesis 
three. Isn't that right, Brother McNeil? Uh, we, we need to see that we're, we're sinners and, and that um, outside of the Lord's grace, we don't have the ability to, to do anything profitable. Uh, I'm so glad that the Lord is, is gracious to us. He's kind to us to, to encourage us. You know, when we're like Moses and we're kind of making excuses, I'm slow of speech. Think about Gideon who said, oh, I, all right, I need you to give me a sign. And I can't remember which one was first, you know, but the, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. And then he said, do the opposite, whichever one was first, you know. But after the first one, he should have said, oh, okay, all right, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to. I needed that one assurance, but now I got it. You know, and what, what are the chances of, uh, again, I can't remember which one was first, but, but what are the chances of, of one being wet and one being dry? Pretty much zero, right? I mean, dew is not concentrated in one area. You know, that's not how dew works. So after the first one, he should have said, all right, I, okay, the Lord's definitely in this. But he said, all right now, Lord, will you please do the opposite? You know? and, and aren't you glad the Lord is long-suffering with us, right? To, to not get frustrated. Oh, me, if I was the Lord up in heaven, <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, and that's just a simple example. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm much uh, uh, more faithless than Gideon. You know, I asked for way more than two examples, you know. Um, and, and it seems like the Lord would just get so frustrated with us and say, you know what, I, I'm just not even going to use him because he's not walking by faith. He's not trusting me. He's, wanting, he's walking by you know, and even an adulterous generation seek that for a sign, by the way, right? He, he's only wanting to do something if you have a sign. You know what? I'm just going to move on to somebody else. Praise the Lord that he's gracious, that he's long-suffering toward us. But at the same time, he probably won't use you too mightily in the kingdom if you think that you're all that, you know? If you, because actually you want to talk about disposition between Saul and David, that's pretty much how Saul felt, right? right? He, said, he thought he could get away with all this stuff. You know, he thought that it, that it was okay. Um, the, the Amalekites, he said, look, you go kill all the Amalekites. You, uh, you kill their king. You kill <clears throat> all, of the, all the animals. And then Samuel shows up, and he says, oh, yeah, I've obeyed the word of the Lord. I've obeyed it. Oh, really? What about the king that you didn't kill? Why do I hear the, the uh, sound of sheep and all this? See, Saul thought that he could do things his own way because he thought very highly of himself. And that was the rebuke of, uh, of Samuel anyway. He said, look, God raised you up when you were little in your own sight. That's what he said. That's what he told Saul. When you were little in your own sight, that's when God chose you. But then you started listening to what everybody else said. Oh, he's, he's the king's king. He's the man's man. He stands taller than anyone else. Yeah, that's who we want to be our king. You started listening to everybody else. And that's why he didn't like it. His, his head swelled. He got prideful. And that's why he didn't like it when all of a sudden they started saying, hey, David's killed his ten thousands, but Saul's only killed his thousands. Right? Why? Because Saul's pride had got so elevated. And what did God do? Those that walk in pride, he's able to abase. He took the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to David, the man after God's own heart. Okay? The greatest in the kingdom is a servant. The who am I's. The who am I's. Now, after we hopefully have that proper disposition of not feeling <clears throat> worthy of God's blessing, not feeling worthy of uh, any calling that he may have placed upon us, now <clears throat> we can arrive at here am I. Here am I. Now, um, 
1 Samuel chapter 3, we see this calling of Samuel. <clears throat> and this may seem like a small distinction, but I believe there is a little bit of a difference between here am I. I think that's still showing a humble disposition, Lord. I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm available, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to submit to your will, as opposed to saying, all right, here I am, you know. All right, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm, I'm worthy of this. I've I'm, I'm, uh, been training for this my entire life. All right, here I am. Let's go. Well, you know, most likely, <laughs> if you feel that way, you probably don't feel like, you know, who am I, right? I'm not worthy of this. No, you probably are very prideful, which, by the way, is a side note. Um, I was reading in the, in the New Testament, it says that we don't need to lay hands and ordain anyone that is a novice. Right. Why? Why? Because it says less being lifted up with pride, he will fall into the condemnation of the devil. They need to prove themselves over a period of time to display this meekness and this humility. Because if you ordain somebody too quick and they get the big head, they're going to start acting like Saul. All right? They're going to start thinking they can do things their own way. And start, uh, that's what Saul did. He edited the word of God. He edited the commandment of, of Samuel. And what's so bad is he got so twisted in his own mind, he didn't think he did anything wrong. He d directly disobeyed the commandment of Samuel, and, and he told Samuel, yeah, I did exactly what you said. Why? Because I did 95% of what you said, you see? So he's distorting in his own mind his truth of the Word of God. And uh, if you ordain someone that's a novice, that's a, that's a prime target for Satan to feed their pride, to have them lifted up, and then ultimately to fall in, into condemnation. But here we see Samuel um, as a young child, and the amazing you know, conception of Samuel, Hannah prayed unto the Lord, and, and the Lord blessed her to conceive, and now she's uh, consecrated him to serve in the temple, and now um, the Lord is speaking to, uh, to Samuel here, um, and this verse 1 here in 1 Samuel chapter 3 tells us the significance of this. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, <clears throat> and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. We find out that Eli was not very diligent as a judge. He's letting his sons do a lot of ungodly things they shouldn't be doing. And what happens when we start living in disobedience? God starts restricting his uh, blessings. He starts restricting the open communication of his word, right? This didn't just happen abstractly. God's not just going to um, restrict the open vision of his word randomly. No, it's a judgment. It's a judgment because of how Eli was, was judging the people. And now he's going to depose Eli and raise up Samuel to be a, a godly judge. But uh, I think it's very significant that the word of the Lord was precious in those days and there was no open vision. So, in that instance, how is the Lord speaking to people? He's speaking to uh, Samuel here in the middle of the night. Yeah. You know, someone's not preaching publicly. He's speaking to a servant individually. And uh, Samuel hears a voice. He thinks it's Eli. He goes three, three separate times to Eli, and he says, Here am I. Here am I. Here am I. You know, I think he thinks that, that Eli's calling him. And Eli uh, finally perceives that this is of the Lord. He, he perceives that, obviously he didn't call him, and he perceives that this is uh, the Lord um, calling Samuel. So three times he's called, he goes to Eli and says, here am I, 
And then Eli's uh, counsel to him is say, next time you hear it, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. See, see the, those words that are a, a submission to God's will, a submission to service to him. You know, thy way not mine, O Lord. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I've been trying to consider uh, prayer on the radio back home, and um, something that I've really noticed in that as I've studied that out is um, most of the time my prayers are me listing off everything I need in a very quick way, a wish list, this is what I need today, boom, boom, boom. Let me get my prayers out of the way so I can get, get on with the day. But when you um, pray in private in your closet, something I've realized is it's just as important for you to listen in prayer as it is to speak. That's why you need to be in your closet. That's why you need to be, doesn't have to be in your physical closet where your clothes are at or where your shoes are at, but you need to have a restriction. You need to have a place of solitude, and you need to turn your phone off, and you need to be by yourself, and then say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Because that's how the Lord generally will speak to his children today. That's how he will guide his people today. It's not by a burning bush. That's not, that's not how the Lord is going to uh, guide you in his will. If you're looking for a decision to make, he's not going to guide you by a burning bush. Actually, we make our way to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> he says, Speak, Lord, for thy servant here. The last verse here in chapter 3 says, The Lord appeared again in Shiloh. Notice this, For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. You see, that's how God reveals himself to us today is by prayer and by the word of God. You want to know how the Lord oftentimes answers, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth? God's most likely not going to speak to you the way he spoke when you say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And Samuel literally heard the verbal voice of God. That's not how he's going to speak to you today. He's going to speak to you through the word. Uh, you know, I try to be very diligent in my daily Bible reading. I'm usually behind. But uh, it's, it's been very interesting multiple times when I've been behind in the sense of like I wasn't even supposed to be reading that if I was on track. Eh, you know, I don't believe in absolute predestination or anything, but, but at the same time, it's so interesting how sometimes I'm behind in my Bible reading and I'm reading something I shouldn't have been reading uh, and I'm praying up about something, I'm asking for direction, I'm asking for wisdom, I'm asking for the will of God, and then there will just be in my daily Bible reading a verse that pops up that's an exact answer to prayer. You know, and if I was on track, I shouldn't have been reading that that day. <laughs> you know, it's always very interesting how things like that work out. But how does God speak to you today? How does God reveal himself? Verse 21, by the word of God, Amen. by the word of God. That's why you need to be reading the word of God daily. That's why you need to be meditating on the word of God, because God will speak to you through his word, especially when you begin reading his word by saying, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Right? Now, <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it stood, the seraphims, everyone had six wings, and twain he covered his face, and twain his feet, and twain he did fly. And one 
cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, what was, uh, what was Isaiah's response to this? This is amazing filling of the temple with the glory of God. What was his response to that? He didn't say, all right, here I am. <laughs> it's about time. I've been waiting on you, Lord. He fell down on his face and said, woe is me, right? Woe is me, for I am undone, and I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king. Essentially what he's saying there is, who am I? Woe is me. Man, I don't deserve to see the Lord high and lifted up in this way. I feel, I feel the wretchedness of my sin because of the glory of God being manifested in my presence. Woe is me. And not only do I feel unclean in general, but my lips feel unclean. I, I think back about the uh, things I've said today, things i said in the last week, the, the way I've sinned verbally. Woe is me. Because I'm a man, in, in general unclean, but especially a man of unclean lips. Now, praise God, when we feel that way, we feel that condemnation of sin, what does God do? Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, and having a live coal, he had taken it with the tongs of the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth. Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. I feel to be a sinner, but especially my lips to be sin, feel to be sinful. God says, I want to remind you that I've purge those lips that you deem to be unclean okay now what's his response what's his response to this i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send and who will go for us and then isaiah's response is here am i send me here am i send me you know why did he have that disposition i think the reason why he had the proper disposition to say, here am I, is because of his clarity of how unworthy he was in verse 5, right? Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm not worthy of this. But you know what? There should also be a, it's such a double-edged sword. You know, you feel so unworthy, but then at the same time, they said, who are we going to send? Here am I, send me, right? You know, there, there should be a, a zeal that we have when we see that we have been purged from our sins, right? There should be an unction. You know, think about those people in Acts chapter 2. Um, they were convicted of their sin. They were pricked in the heart. And they knew they needed to do something. They knew they needed to do something, right? There should be a, a compelling to action. You know, not just to sit around all day and say, whoa, woe is me, you know. I, I remember the, uh, um, was it Brother David in y'all's annual meeting about Eeyore? Uh, you know, we don't need to walk around like Eeyore all the time, right? And just, just depressed all the time and, oh, oh, you know, everything's so bad. Well, you know what? We need to have the proper disposition. We need to have the proper di disposition that we're totally depraved in our nature. But at the same time, we also need to see ourselves as our iniquities purged. Just like he gave here of Isaiah, right? He felt to be a sinner. He gave him a, a reassurance that he was purged from those sins. Now, what do you do after you have that knowledge that you've been purged from those sins? You know, you don't just sit around and keep thinking about how woe is me. Well, yeah, you, we need to be humble. We need to rem be reminded of, of uh, our 
inability to, to serve God apart from His grace, but you don't need to stay in the woe is me state. No. With that proper disposition, now you are appropriately um, qualified to now go out. Who am I? Uh, who's going to go for us? Here am I. Send me. You know, I, I'm willing. I, I feel inadequate, but I'm willing to sign up for the job. <laughs> Why? Because I believe the Lord's going to give me grace to do that. And this is certainly not a messianic psalm, a uh, messianic passage by any means, but I believe this could also be said of Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world when the Trinity said, all right, who am I going to send? You know, we love these people. Before the foundation of the world, Adam and Eve partook of that fruit. Now they're fallen in sin. By my holiness, I have, I have to exact judgment upon that sin. I can't just whitewash it. I can't ignore it. Uh, who, are, who are we going to send? You know, the angels can't do it. <laughs> uh, they're not satisfied. They're not, they're not appropriate. We can't send the angels. Who are we going to send? And it's almost as if Jesus raised his hand before the foundation of the world and said, here am I, send me, right? Here am I, send me to save his people from their sins. You know, uh, we have to have the appropriate disposition uh, before God sends us out. And I'll tell you, God's, uh, God's school is always successful. Um, think about Moses. I'll tell you, he was not ready to lead the people of Israel as a 40-year-old hothead killing Egyptians when they had a disagreement. <laughs> he had to learn a lot of things back there in the desert he had, he had to be humbled. Moses was very prideful. He was very prideful when he left Egypt. But he came back the meekest man on the face of the earth. Why? Because he went through God's seminary. <laughs> he, went, he went through God's pattern to build him up for the work that he was called to do. And I think God is just as successful in doing that today. Now, now what I mean by that is, is uh, if you are a little bit too prideful, most likely you're not going to respond very well to someone just looking at you, pointing their finger in your face and saying, you're too prideful, you need to get humble. No, the Lord will humble you. Amen. Okay, And you know what? When the Lord humbles you, you're humble. <laughs> I mean, think about Moses. I'll tell you, he was, he was prideful. He was very prideful when he left Egypt. But I'll tell you, he came back appropriately qualified for the job that God had called him to do. Who am I? And finally he said, all right, here am I. Here am I. Send me. Use me according to your will. And, and, and I'll tell you another thing in regards to um, that meekness is you need to, just like a horse needs to be broke, sometimes you need to be broke to realize, to be able to follow God's will. You know, because if you start thinking that, that, uh, that you can do it all yourself and you're that wild stallion that thinks you're going to, no, the Lord, he'll break you. Amen. He'll break you. Now, he's not breaking you to, you know, to where you're going to be lame your whole life. He's breaking you for a purpose. To show you that you can't do it yourself. Until you feel, who am I? You're not going to be very profitable in here am I, send me, is really what I'm saying. And the, and the Lord knows that. <laughs> the Lord knows that. 
and he can appropriately deal with his children, as any good father would. And I'll tell you, um, God is the perfect heavenly father and knows exactly what all of his children need at any given moment. He knows when you're too high. He knows when you're too low. And if you're getting too high, the Lord is going to give you the appropriate circumstances to mold you according to his will for what he intends for you to do according to his will in the future. Okay? And he knows exactly where that balance is. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what is necessary. You know, um, Moses didn't just go to Egyptian counseling, you know. He had to go through something more severe. <laughs> you see, God, God sent the appropriate circumstance in his life to get him to the appropriate who am I disposition so he could be used in service to the Lord. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.